Okay, and welcome back. This week's episode is a sit-down conversation with the one and only Greg Toon. Toon has been a coach at Strongtown since we opened our doors and we first met sometime around 2009 during the CrossFit Watertown days. He's a regular face at our 6 a.m. classes, both as an athlete and he's also one of our coaches. Outside of the gym, he's a father of four. He has worked for IBM for the past 22 years. And as of 2019, his wife, Claire, took over Southbury Dental Care in Southbury. With the exception of the dentistry work, Toon has been very involved in the business overall. I feel like Toon and I have a ton of interesting things we could talk about, and it was hard to cover it all in one episode for me. So we will be trying to get him back on here for a future episode to talk about kids, family, and and some other stuff that I feel that he has some very valuable insight on. I did forget to ask him about the best place to reach out and contact him at the end of the show. It was a total rookie move on my part, so I've shared his contact info in the show notes below. I have to thank him for giving up his time to come and talk with me, and I hope you all enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Strongtown Talks. I am your host, Dan Gallagher. This is a show where we talk with the people and friends of the Strongtown community. Okay, guys, welcome back to another week and another episode of Strongtown Talks. I am here today with an individual who I have had the pleasure of knowing for a very long time. We go back to the CrossFit Watertown days. He is a coach at CrossFit Strongtown. I kind of know what he does outside the gym, <laughs> vaguely, something with IBM. He has a lot of kids. And this is uh, Mr. Gregory Toon. I was wondering how you're going to introduce me. Yeah, you're, like, you're, you're a tough like one. If you're just going to say, this is Greg, people would be like, <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, no one knows Greg. I feel bad. I didn't tell you this, but I normally send out an email to the guests before they come on the show. There's a line in that email that goes out to people about, you know, how not everyone knows everyone at the gym, case in point being Tune. <laughs> it's in your email? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who no one knows. Not that no one knows. People know. Yeah. I'm just joking. But, you know, for the most part, you're in your bubble. You live that 6 a.m. Yeah, life. 6 a.m. You're either coaching 6 a.m. or working out at 6 a.m. And outside of that, it's, it's family time, man. We've started luring you into beer water a little bit on Friday oh, yeah. nights. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, that's your bubble. That's your world that you live in. And we don't really see you too much outside of that. So we have a lot of members who don't know who you are. <laughs> that's really funny that it's in the actual email. That's part of the reason no. you didn't get the email. <laughs> <laughs> now that makes more sense. Yeah, I, I would have had to edit it. And I'm like, oh, I can't tell Tune that no one knows who Tune is. <laughs> too funny. So, Toon, whenever I start these episodes, I like to start off with a little bit of background on the person. Talk about who you are, where you grew up. I know a little bit of your story. I believe you grew up on a military base in Texas. Yeah, yeah. So, I am a military brat. My dad was a physician in the Air Force. So, we moved around quite a bit. But I usually say I'm from San Antonio, Texas, where I went to junior high and high school. My folks are from the New York, like Brooklyn, Bronx. So, that's kind of where I grew up. I say San Antonio, Texas. It just saves me from having to do the whole, well, I'm from all over. I'm from four different states and grew up in a different country or whatever. So yeah. So I say San Antonio, Texas, just to make it easy. So do you have siblings? Yep. I have two older siblings. One's um, four years older than me. She lives in uh, San Francisco area, the Bay area. And then I have another sister who's seven years older than me and she lives in the Boston area. Okay. Yeah. I went to school, Boston University. I'm pretty much a New England guy. And you played tennis yep, at I, BU. Yep. I played tennis at BU all four years. You know, growing up, I just like, well, I don't know what to say everyone, but 
most people play multiple sports, you know, baseball, whatever. I kind of found tennis actually later in life or later for someone who plays college tennis. I didn't start playing tennis until I moved to Texas in the seventh grade. Most people who I've run into that have played college tennis, they've been playing it since they were yay high. So I was a little different in that, that standpoint. Did your parents play tennis or what got you into the no, sport? Was so, it just you like hitting balls? No. So what happened was is we had moved from Germany to San Antonio. When did and, you move to, sorry, you, you moved to Germany from tennis. You were in Germany for yeah, a Yeah. So we're, we were in Germany just for a year. That was my sixth grade year. And then the summer after we moved to, to Texas, the summer before my seventh grade year in high, uh, junior high. And when you're in the military, we're going to live on the base, or we did live on the base in San Antonio. And our house wasn't ready. So they have these things called temporary living quarters or temporary living facilities. And they're kind of like little efficiencies, and you kind of live in there while you're waiting for your house. Mm -hmm. And there was another kid who was the same age as me, and he was same thing, just moved there. And on the Air Force Base, we actually, most bases, they have tennis courts and baseball fields and whatever. And it was just something that we were like, hey, let's go do this. Nothing else to do. We also skateboarded, but that was another thing too. So we'd skateboard to the tennis courts okay. and we would just... And Texas is pretty flat, so it probably works Texas pretty well. Texas is pretty flat, but pretty hot. So we would do it mostly in the late morning. But so we'd go there and we'd hit balls. And then at these courts, there was a guy who would come in and he would come on the weekends and he would teach tennis at those courts. So he was like a retired military guy, but did it through like the base park and recs. And so he did tennis lessons and he saw us of course he probably saw it as like hey two more kids to get money from right right to take lessons but he's like hey you guys should you know you guys look pretty good you guys should come and take lessons and come on the weekends and it kind of just grew from there and i just kind of started playing a lot and then the kid mark who i started playing tennis with he kind of fell out of it and i started training with that coach and then he got me into local junior tournaments, USDA tournaments, and then that whole thing turned into pretty competitive tennis. Yeah. So you played in high school as well. I'm yeah. Assuming. So I played in high school as well. So tennis, the way it works is there is USTA, United States Tennis Association, junior tennis. And then it's kind of separate. It's like high school tennis. So high school tennis is actually pretty big in Texas just because of a lot of people play because of the weather. You can play mm -hmm. year round. But for me, the, the school I went to was actually, it was a public school, but the school district was just the Air Force Base. Okay. So it was on the smaller side. So we had about 60 kids in the graduating class. For our high school, tennis wasn't really that competitive as far as, you know, who we played against. It wasn't until you got to like regionals or state where you would actually find people that are probably pretty high up in like the USTA junior rankings. Yeah. So most of my time junior tennis was played USTA and I just play tennis for school just to actually miss class. Really? Oh, it's a valid reason. Yeah. So when I say junior tennis, it's not high school tennis, it's USTA. Okay. Junior tennis. You're high school in Texas. Mm-hmm. What brought you to Boston? Was it just I'm applying to schools at college and yeah, I like so, the Celtics. <laughs> no. So a couple things. 
I want, I knew I wanted to get out of Texas. I wasn't sure if I wanted to play college tennis or not. And I was just kind of like, you know, where could I go? And I always had in my mind what college should be or what col- the image of college is always like that right. New England Ivy league, you know, campus. Or yeah. Whatever or whatever, which, or... which actually BU is not, it's in the city. It's, it's Boston, <laughs> but it's not. So my junior year, the summer before, yeah, the summer before my senior year in high school, I went to a program called the National Youth Leadership Forum on Medicine. So that's that's a mouthful. Okay. And it happened to take place in Boston. So you'd go for a week. It's like one of these things that you got invited to. I don't know who nominated me or whatever. I mean, I was, I was a good student in high school. And you come to Boston for a week. We actually stayed at Simmons College, which is right in the Fenway area. Okay. And I was like, holy cow, this city is awesome. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is where I want to go to school or at least look at. And fast forward when I said, Hey, you know, I don't know if I really wanted to play college tennis. My junior tennis coach at the time who had D one coaching experience, he actually won a national championship division one, like back in the set, like 77, I think. Um, he said, listen, if you're not sure if you want to play division one tennis, he's like, that's fine. He goes, don't go to a school just for a scholarship because that's could be miserable for you. So I liked BU first of all for the city, but I really liked the coach. I liked the guys on the team that I had kind of heard about and interacted with, but BU is not a scholarship program. So I knew that if I went and played there, I wouldn't have that like, oh, I have to play tennis even yeah, if I which didn't is surprising. It's a D1 school. It's surprising yeah. it's not a scholarship program. Yeah, no. You. Tennis is one of those sports, and I don't want to get into it, but like Title IX and everything. So, you know, there's football programs out there, right? And they've got 60-some-odd oh, yeah. scholarships, and, they, you know, Title IX, you have to have equal amounts. So tennis is an example where there is – at most, a men's team can have, I think it's six, or at least it was. It was six, and the women's team could have 12. It's one of those things that it's not uncommon. They need to carry a Division One program, but it won't be a scholarship program. Okay. What did you end up studying at BU? So I was a, so I initially started out as a biology major, thinking I was going to be pre-med. I cannot picture you as a biology pre-med major. Yeah, and, and then I... <laughs> changed to a human physiology major, but then I ultimately ended up as a computer science major. The way that happened was, and it must have been, it well, must have been my sophomore year. I was taking like organic chemistry, I think human physiology, all at once, all at the same time in one semester. And I got a really bad back injury. And I remember going to the organic chemistry professor and saying, hey, you know, I got this really bad back injury. I can't sit down for longer than 10 minutes before it starts seizing up. Like, I don't know if I can take this exam. And he was like, oh, yeah, no problem. I've had a back injury, too. I, I know exactly what you're going through. He goes, no problem. You can stand up in front of the, at the top of the lecture podium and take the exam. So this is like chemistry, like 101 <laughs> with like 500 and some odd kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I it's think, a lecture hall. Yeah, it's a lecture yeah. hall, like legit lecture hall. And I was just like, is this really what I want to do? 
And then my, my dad actually, so he was a physician in the air force and he's first generation. So both of his parents immigrated to this country. He was on an air force medical scholarship. So at the time when I was in college, he was later in his career and he was giving back. Um, and he, so he chaired the medical education board for the air force. So he is very aware of like, you know, what it takes to get into medical school, mm -hmm. this and that. And so I called my dad up and I was, you know, we were talking and I just tell him like really struggling, taking all these science classes. I don't know if this is what I want to do. And he goes, it's not worth it. He's like, if, if you're kind of on the fence right now, yeah, he's like, not worth it. You know, medicine's changing. It's not what it used to be. It's not like, oh, I'm going to become a doctor and just roll in the dough, right? And yeah. I'll practice all this. He goes, you know, you can always apply to medical school later. Do something what you're interested in, what you want. Get the basic science classes, the bare minimum, but you don't have to be a human physiology major. You don't have to be a biology major. Have the bare minimum classes. And then if you want to apply, you can apply, but you don't have to be a biology major or a human physiology major. So that was probably, you know, one of the best pieces of advice, not the only piece of advice my dad gave me, but was really surprising. I, yeah. I didn't think I'd get that from my dad. You know, him being a physician, I'd let it be like, what, you know, what do you mean you don't want to be a doctor? Yeah, I feel like Bernie just kept telling me, it's like, oh, you changed majors again? Yeah. So I actually found computer science by looking. We had a, a student newspaper. It was called the Daily Free Press. Mm -hmm. I was just like looking through. It's one of those things you grab every, I don't think they even have them anymore now with all everything digital. But, you know, they used to be. It's here. like a one-page flyer probably. Yeah, you know, it's not even. It's probably like a QR code that yeah. <laughs> you hold your phone to. They're talking about hot jobs. And this was 19, like late, mid-90s, right? Mm -hmm. So they're computer science. And I was looking, and I was like, hey, I took a typing class. I like technology. Like, you know, let me see what this is all about. And I took a computer science class, and the coding, you know, thinking logically like that came easy to me. And... I was like, hey, yeah, I could do this. It's like, I can make, I can make money doing this. This is good. This will be a good, good place to start. Yeah, it's funny because I started off as computer science, and I had the complete opposite I could reaction not see you as computer science. <laughs> Just like you with biology, where I was in there, I'm like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Might have been the professor at the time. It might have been who knows. But I had a really hard time with it, and then I went computer science to graphic design to mm -hmm. liberal arts, and then finally landscape architecture. Yeah. So it's sort of a polar opposite I mean, I mean, experience, were, but you always get that question like, Oh, if you had to do it again, like, I don't, I don't think I would do computer science necessarily. Yeah. I think I'm more geared towards, Oh, at the time what they called a management information systems degree in the school of management, you know, more the business side, technology side, but I do like technology. I like geeking out on stuff. Oh, yeah. You and I will yeah. do that all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, we could open a gadget store. Yeah. <laughs> like an Amazon gadget store. <laughs> Make but, millions. <laughs> just spend money. Yeah. But you were able to translate this computer science degree into a career with IBM. Yeah. So <laughs> how I got my job at IBM is a funny story in itself. Typical computer science major, senior year. I graduated in 99. So this is kind of like the peak of close to the peak of don't age yourself tune yeah don't well, tell it's them too late. 
So I was in the computer lab. I was up all night trying to do an assignment. I'm, I'm sure I, I, I probably had three weeks to do it and I was trying to do it in two nights. And everybody starts, like all these people start coming in to the lab. They've got like Lucent technology laundry bags. They've got pens. They've got all this stuff. And they're like, oh, there's a career fair at the student union. Oh, they've got all the stuff they're giving away is awesome. Those were the best. Right? So a girl I was coding with, she happened to be, actually be a junior. She's like, oh, let's go. I'm like, sure, why not? Like go to class or go to the student union right. and get some swag. So of course, go to the student union and get some swag. So the girl I'm with, she's a junior taking the class that I'm taking as a senior. So obviously a little more advanced, a little more ambitious probably than I am at the time. And she's got a resume. She's like got an internship <laughs> at Xerox, right? She's like wheeling and dealing. And I'm just like, every booth we come to, I'm just like, what, what, what do you got? What are you giving out? Yeah. Like, you know, what do you got for me? I don't even have a resume. We get to the IBM booth. There are a couple people there. And the one guy goes, he points at, the girl and she says he says what year are you she goes oh i'm a junior he goes oh go talk to those people like that's, i'm looking for seniors yeah. he points at me what year are you like i'm a senior he goes oh good come closer i don't want to yell i'm you know talking all day he goes what's your major computer science oh perfect i said okay and i so we started talking and i said listen i didn't know much about ibm at the time i, I mean i knew they were a good company big blue yeah exactly and i knew the technology obviously but I go, you know, I'm a computer science major, but I can't see myself like being a code monkey, like locked into a basement and just banging away on code. That's not right. really what I want to do. He goes, perfect. He goes, I represent like this small consulting group part of IBM. It sounds like perfect fit. You have a resume? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. He goes, can you get one to me by the end of the day? I'm like, hmm. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> he goes, okay, well, go do a resume, bring it back to me. You know, hopefully it works out. So I'm like, ah, big dilemma. Go to another class or do a resume. I'm like, oh, do a resume. Why not? I should probably look for a job. <laughs> yeah. So college, college is ending soon. Yeah. It's getting close. So I go back at the end of the day and he's like, oh, I was really hoping you came back. I saved you a spot for interviews tomorrow on-campus interviews at the business school. So fast forward, I go and I interview, I go to the business school and every kid in the waiting area for all, like, you know, it's, it's organized by the career right. office or whatever. Every, and there's, you know, tons of companies interviewing. Every kid, suit and tie, or at least a tie. Me, I got like jeans and a button-up shirt that I was like, I'm dressed <laughs> up like, what? <laughs> What do I do? <laughs> so anyways, I ultimately ended up getting the job and, and that recruiter actually, he remind me, he's like, oh, you're the story I tell at every like <laughs> recruiting function about how there is no way this kid is going to get hired. It ended up working out. I was part of uh, like a 13 person new hire group. Mm -hmm. They were based out of Newport, Rhode Island. Not a bad place to start working yeah, not at all um they had ibm had taken over or acquired a company a consulting company that was there and so there's 13 of us new hire group one of them happened to be my wife that's how i met my wife through ibm and she was another new hire so it worked out pretty well and actually funny story is 
she was actually a biology major and a computer science minor. Really? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was kind of like one of those things where computer science was so hot. Like, And actually, that's why I wasn't really looking for a job because my original plan was I was going to play professional tennis for a year. And when I say professional tennis, that means I'm entering like the satellite tournaments and using it as an excuse to travel for a year. Right. Because I was like, oh, I'm a computer science major. There's, there'll be a job waiting for me a year after. So this is kind of like my victory lap, well, if I'll you will. I agree with you because that's what attracted me to computer science was that this is sort of a hot commodity in the job market right now when I was graduating high school. And that's what first brought me to it. So I, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. But, so yeah, go it, play tennis for a year and yeah, then yeah, and just it, beat the jobs off while they're banging on your door. Yeah. Well, and, and it was funny because IBM was the only job I was considering not playing tennis for a year. So I was like, if I get this job from IBM, then I'll just go work. Originally I was like, okay, well it'll work out. When I got the offer, I was like, okay, whatever. Time to grow up. The original start date I think was going to be like in September or something. So I'd have the whole summer. I was like, great. I can play during the summer. One last summer I can go and travel and play the, you know, tennis all over the world. Yeah. We got a call like in April and it was like, uh, no, we have to move your your start date up to like June, I forget what it was. I maybe it's May, end of May, June first. And I was like, "What the heck?" And he's like, "No, trust me, we're moving everybody up, and you're gonna want to be moved up." And we're like, I'm "Like, no, what? <laughs> I got plans, man. Yeah, <laughs> fun plans." And he's like, "Well, they're changing the retirement plan. If you don't start by this date, you get put on the new retirement plan, which is not as good as the one if you start." prior. So he was trying to do us all a favor. So we'd get started with IBM and be on the older plan, which is a more attractive plan. So now that I'm older, that was a good move. Yeah. In hindsight. But back then I was ripped. Yeah. It's fine. I forget that your wife actually, or Claire used to work Mm -hmm. for IBM and that's how you guys met. Because right now when I think of your wife, I think of Southbury Dental Care, the the practice in town that she recently took over. But that was a bit of a career change for oh, her yeah. at the time. Yeah. So about a year into it, year and a half, Claire was like, this corporate world is not for me. This is not what I want to do with my life. So she had her biology degree. Her mom's a dental hygienist, so she was familiar with dentistry. And she stayed with IBM the five years just to get vested or stocks to get vested and stuff. And then she's like, I don't know. I'm either going to go to dental school or medical school. And I was like, are you kidding me? If you go to medical school now, you've been working for five years. Like that. And then you had, you know, you have to do a residency. I was like, if you go to dental school, you don't have to do anything. She ended up doing a one year residency, but you don't have to like right. you can go four years and you can just start practicing. I was like, I know what I would do. And she was familiar with dentistry. So because of her mom so she decided dentistry but yeah it yeah, was so a it was total familiar. shift yeah it was yeah. a total shift for her which is pretty crazy. i mean i give her a lot of kudos because i don't know if i could pivot like that and you know i think with any job there's there's compensation and fulfillment mm-hmm. anytime something like that happens i initially think that you know the compensation was there but she wasn't getting the fulfillment that she was looking for to yeah. the point where if the fulfillment isn't there and that you're not getting meaning eventually you'll hit a breaking point where something will have to give and yeah i mean she's she's not like me she generally wants to help people where you know i just want <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to make other people money working at ibm yeah <laughs> no 
I mean, that was part of it. It's like, and it's like with every big company, you know, yeah. at some point you're like, wow, I'm, okay, I'm getting compensated, but I'm really just working to make someone else more wealthy. And it's not me. Yeah. You guys worked in Newport for a little while. Mm -hmm. You, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I think you moved to Chicago yeah. for a bit. Yeah. So about six months in Newport. No, a little bit longer, but so we started in, you know, that summer and then that January, February, my boss at the time was actually in Chicago and he had clients he had to support in Chicago and we were also flying all over the place. And he said, Hey, would you be interested in moving out here to Chicago for two reasons? One, you can help me support our local accounts here that I'm supporting, but then also we'll have you in the middle of the country and you can basically get a direct flight anywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was young and like, sure. Uh, you know, plus IBM was going to move me, which is awesome. And, uh, yeah. So then I, I went out to Chicago. I, I had an uncle who lived in Chicago, so it was kind of nice. I knew I had at least some family around and some, somebody, but we were flying around so much. It really didn't matter. So, so Claire ended up living in Newport for another two years, three years. And then she moved out to Chicago with me. But we would just say, okay, we're both flying somewhere. We either fly back to Chicago one weekend or fly back to Newport or Providence. So obviously more in the summertime, we'd be in Newport or we spent a lot of time. We'd both be on the West coast. We'd be like, let's just stay in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco for almost a year. Even though I lived there, we were kind of all over. It worked out. It was fun. The reason that I know about Chicago is once it's transitioned to, and when I first met you at Watertown, I remember... I think we became Facebook friends or whatever it was. I think you shared a memory or something of your apartment in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking, I'm like, why did this guy ever leave that? That place oh. looks absolutely amazing. It was like oh, this yeah. loft apartment. Yeah. It's like, it basically looks like what you would see on the set of New Girl or a TV show. Yeah. So and I'm like, that was his life and he's in Middlebury, Connecticut now. I'm like, <laughs> what happened? Well, we're, we're back here because my wife is originally from this area. So she grew up in Watertown, um, Town Plot. Now our folks are in, in Northfield. So that's why we're back here. But Chicago, yeah, the loft that you saw is actually my second place in Chicago. Okay. So when I first moved out to Chicago, <laughs> my dad gave me more really good advice. You know, I'm young and like, hey, they're moving me out to Chicago. They're going to pay for everything. You know, like making good money. Should I buy a BMW or should I buy a place? <laughs> my dad's like, are you an idiot? <laughs> He's like, you should buy a place. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I, I can afford, like, I make enough to buy a place. He goes, listen, he goes, if you make a million dollars, you have the same conversation in your head because you're looking at $2 million homes. Yeah. So he's like, you can afford it. Get an apartment. And so I got this two bedroom, is it two? No, one bedroom condo. And I would walk to the the train and I'd have to walk by this building, this loft building. And I just remember like when it'd be dark and it'd be lit up and you'd see these beautiful lofts. Like, oh yeah. You know, 20 foot ceilings, like it was true factory lofts, not these, you know, at the time they call them soft lofts. They're yeah, kind of not Connecticut lofts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, so I'd walk by this building and the one guy who had the corner unit, Larry, he was a photographer. So his thing was all pimped out, you know, just oh, sure. great from the street level. So the guy who lived above me 
in the apartment I was at. He was a younger guy too, and he was kind of into real estate and everything, and same stuff. And we were walking to the train, and there was a little sign that said "Open House." We're like, "Dude, let's go!" We like, "Here's our opportunity. At least we can go in and see what these things look like oh, inside." Yeah. Went in there, saw the place, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" It was you know two thousand square feet, twenty foot ceilings, timber beams. It was top floor, so it had the timber ceiling just wide open. I was like. Wow, this is when I picture myself living in the city. This is like your dream or yeah. my dream. Like I always had this image of uh, the movie Big, right? With Tom Hanks with Tom Hanks. Yeah. So he's got the trampoline. You know, he goes and he gets he's got a trampoline in there yeah, inside the apartment. <laughs> inside the apartment, right? So that's kind of what it was like. Like, and I was like, oh, I gotta figure out how I can do this. And of course, my neighbor from upstairs, he's like, oh, you can totally. He's totally, you know, spending my money. He's like, oh, you can do this. Like, sell your place and. And at that time, housing market was exploding, right? And so I sold my place and got this place, and it was awesome. We had our oldest two kids there, um, which was not so awesome. When you live in a, a huge loft like this, and the only, <laughs> before we did a little construction, the only room in the loft that had four walls, a door, and a ceiling <laughs> was the downstairs bathroom. <laughs> So you can imagine not the best place to oh, yeah. to raise a family, but I mean, it's a great experience. Like I said, I said, even if I bought this place and lost money on it or broke even or whatever, just that's the experience I want, the life experience of saying, yeah. hey, I lived in the city. I, I, had, I lived in this cool place. Speaking of kids, when I first met you at Watertown, I do want to try to bring this back to CrossFit. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want oh, yeah. to get into like... I'd like to get into like what brought you to the gym and everything like that. But I thought you had a lot of kids when I first met you, and then you continued to have more kids after I met you. <laughs> well, not not quite like the Rafferty's, <laughs> but I have, yeah, four kids. And it was funny because I remember the first time I met you at Watertown, I'm like, oh, this is Gregory Toon. He's around my age. We're peers. <laughs> and then it came up in conversation that you had three kids. I'm like, nope, he's not around my age. We're not peers at all. <laughs> he's on a very different page of his life than I am. <laughs> So the joke, the joke at Watertown used to be, "Don't look tune in the eyes; you'll get pregnant." To all of them. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> that used to be the joke, and new members would be like, "What are they talking about?" And then it happens. And then it happens, right? But um, when we moved here into Connecticut, we had our two oldest, um, Brendan and Patrick. Patrick, yep. And I started CrossFit before we had Connor because I remember I was actually coaching a six a.m. class. Was it? I, now I'm getting my kids confused. This is not good. The birth oh, stories. I feel it's taken me like 12 years to get your kids' names yeah. straight too. And so, well, one of them, and I'm pretty sure it was Connor. I was coaching the 6 a.m. at Watertown, and I got the text from Claire saying, "Hey, I think it's go time." Yeah, it was definitely Connor. <laughs> and I'm replaying all my kids' birth in my head, and I was like, "Okay." And this is our third, right? I mean, so nonchalant about it. I don't remember who was in the class, but I was like, oh, I just got this text. Like, oh, my wife, I think she's going on labor. And they're like, oh, do you need to go? No, no, no. I can finish coaching class. We'll be fine. It's fine. I don't know if my wife thought that, but. I might have to edit this part out for Kathleen. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, I mean, I've been around CrossFit now for since. I think you 2008, 2008, 2009. Yeah, so it was like around Thanksgiving time. Do you remember what your first exposure to CrossFit was or how you found it? Yeah, I do. I was on the Facebook 
right? <laughs> As it was the Facebook it for was, a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before so, it was Facebook. Exactly. So I was on Facebook and I saw a post from a high school. Actually, she wasn't even a high school friend. She was a junior high. So I think she moved away before she even went to high school. So this is going back to military people moving, moving around. But so I was friends with her on Facebook. Her name was Sarah. And she posted this post and it was like, oh, I just did this workout. I can't put my arms down. I'm so sore. I can't wait to go back. I was like, what the heck? So I like messaged her. You have to tell me what is this? What is this? Like, what, what did you do? What did you do? And you want to go get some of this? Well, I was curious of why you'd be like, feel this way, but then like you want to go back. So she responded and she's like, oh, I you know, do CrossFit and, you know, and this is CrossFit still a little unknown. Yeah, was, very much unknown, I would say. In 2008, this is pre. It was pre-Reebok. Pre-Reebok, pre, definitely pre-Reebok, pre-Games, yeah. pre-everything. Pre-all that. Yeah. No, there's no Open, there's no Regionals, there's no, no yeah. It's I just, mean, that, I mean, I have a picture of their website in my mind, and that, I don't. Oh, yeah. The yellow, <laughs> yellow background. And well, they just, kept that, there's a part of me that misses that, because yeah. it was up for so long, yeah. it was just, and it was just a feed of yeah, just the just, workout of the like day. A, yeah, and it was then, just like a blog, I don't even yeah. know what it was, but. So she told me and she's like, oh, you know, it's kind of like this thing. And, and at this point in my life, right, we had just moved that summer from Chicago and living the good life. I was a former college athlete and now I haven't done really anything and mm-hmm. kind of let myself go a little bit. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, kids. yeah, a couple kids. And I was like, this might be something really good for me to get my kind of fitness jump started. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, you know, our class, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, with my two kids, everything going on. And then I was like, oh, look at all some of the stuff like cleans. And it reminded me a lot of the strength conditioning stuff we did in college. So that appealed to me too. And then I saw like very little running, salt. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I Googled CrossFits near me and I was really surprised. I was I, I wasn't expecting to find one so close, like in Watertown. If anything, I was like kind of nervous, and I finally sent the email, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm interested. I heard about it. Trying a class, and so that's how I found CrossFit." Yeah, and prior to that, I know you had this background in tennis and stuff like that, and you mentioned that some of the stuff was familiar from your strength and conditioning mm-hmm. work that you guys would do. Did you have much of a gym routine, or was it? mostly just based around sports and training for the sports and that type of thing. Yeah. So growing up junior high, high school, no gym routine, but we did have like workouts, but they were, you know, around tennis and like footwork drills and things like that, but Mm -hmm. no, no weights. I lifted maybe in middle school, like PE class and that was it. But then I went to Boston university and the head strength and conditioning coach, Mike Boyle, who's really well-known in the strength and conditioning yes. world. I just want to say, is he involved with Thrive at Yeah, he all? started Thrive. Okay. That's his thing. BU had a really good hockey team, but he did all the sports. No, he wasn't as involved with us as he would be with them. So it wasn't until I got to BU where it was like, okay, you're going to be on a program. You're going to be working out, mm-hmm. you know, consistent basis. Here's your workouts. Here's your little, at the time we had, it was heavier cardstock than a regular you know, piece of paper and it like little boxes and you had to fill in your, write it down with a 
pen and paper like it's so foreign now with our phones but yeah. you have to keep it in your little folder in the gym and but yeah that was my routine and then I really enjoyed it I mean I've always liked the footwork stuff I never really excelled at upper body stuff like bench press pull-ups pressing stuff give me a squat you know let me a squat for days yeah I was gonna say I think of you as a squatter yeah I'm more of a squat guy and I'm kind of built like that too even at BU because of tennis it was more our kind of prescription for our workouts was more focused on our lower bodies like you know we're kind of similar to soccer and basketball the quick mm -hmm. movements and this and that so even then I didn't really do a lot of pulling as far as like pull-ups and stuff like we did snatches and cleans but those are just general really good full body movements yeah for strength and conditioning and developing power yeah exactly but then after i got out of college i was like no desire to go to the gym really yeah i didn't see myself as a gym person one of the things i'm impressed with you is that if i'm not coaching at 6 a.m i have a very hard time getting myself here on those days <laughs> and you're someone that you either work out at 6 a.m. or you coach at 6 a.m. You're one of our most, obviously you coach here too, but you're one of our most consistent members throughout the years. Yeah. And, you know, I think it goes back to why I originally found CrossFit, right? It was like, I know I've got all this other stuff going on in my life and I only have a limited amount of time. And for me, I'm kind of inherently lazy. <laughs> so I, I can we, think- We all are. Yeah. But if I have to work out in the afternoon, I can- by 10 o'clock, I have already 500 reasons why I'm not going to be able to make the workout. Yeah. And probably 499 of them are not legit. So for me, I found that going in in the morning, and I've always been a morning person, but getting it done in the morning, I just feel like I get so much more accomplished. And I think most of the people that are regular 6 a.m., they all say the same thing, right? You have your workout done. You By the time it's 10 o'clock, you feel like you've accomplished more in the morning than most people do in a day. Yeah. But- to be fair, I have not always been consistent. There are a few years when I was traveling a lot and I would take months off at a time. I'd only show up maybe once or twice and then I'd show up to coach. It hasn't been in probably until the last like two or three years where I really come religiously at 6 a.m. Yeah. So to one of the other things I was trying, I, I don't want to take up too much of your day and I'd like to try to get you back on here in the future because I, I think you and I have a lot of things we can just sort of jam about for a bit but yeah um, i think i think the next one we can just we can say kids will be the topic just kids like um you know maybe we could do a all the parents and you know everyone give their parenting advice like a round table thing like a round i can table, only like, do so with my setup i can only record four people my parenting style might be a little extreme compared to some of the others no i think it's good though not that i have any input on this but <laughs> <laughs> i don't disagree with your style i feel like i can relate to that it's a little tough love. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to try to touch on with you today was also your transition from, and I don't know if this is just because you had been doing it for so long, but you know, you have transitioned from just doing the workouts and trying to find an hour a day and trying to squeeze into your schedule to you have been coaching since we've been open. I mean, you were actually a big can't tell us to Mikey, but I don't think he listens to these anyways. But I think you're a big reason why the gym survived that first year when I was in London because I wasn't here. 
I forgot about that. Mikey was literally at the point where he was sleepwalking. He was coaching so many classes. I I don't even know how I forgot that you were in London. That's that's how I know your sister-in-law. Yep, exactly. That's That's a very bizarre connection that we were both in London at the same time. Uh, We ended up hanging out quite a bit. Jill's a lovely person. And you guys were doing the same program too, right? No, she was actually at a different school, but the campuses were very close to each other. Okay, And then it was because she was studying at, I think, the AIA, which is the Architects Institute of something, not AI, I think that's America, but she was she was doing some sort of architecture yeah. program there. My background was landscape architecture, so there's that common thread, and I was studying uh, urban planning at the time. So we ended up meeting over there, and you ended up, in hindsight, this is a decision I would never make again, but the fact that we opened up the gym, <laughs> and I was here for july and august and september i was like peace out guys i'm out of here mikey good luck (laughs) good luck mike (laughs) this is what you wanted bro hey let me know you know every now and then drop me a line let me know Um, how it's going yes we would do do skype calls and stuff like that to talk about programming but you helped out quite a bit with the coaching at the time which was really it was definitely appreciated for us and it's also been interesting for me too because as i get guests on this podcast i hear a lot of stories about like Tune helped me with this. Tune helped me with that. Like Mary Beth <laughs> was talking about how it was you coaching her, Candace and Holly at some of the morning classes. Mm-hmm. Sydney, which this episode will be out this week, she gives you a lot of credit for helping her with rowing. Yeah. And before she yeah. went off to college, even though she decided she didn't want to do crew. Oh, I I totally forgot that she <laughs> went to. I forgot, and that's why we spent like I spent some time with her, and you I was like, did. And it, I, was I like, hey, hear about it. Yeah, I was in like, hey, this from is what you want to do. I I'll share everything I know and and try to help you as much as I can. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Was there anything that kind of sparked your interest in coaching, or was it just being around athletics, or what kind of brought you to that side of the table? So it started out with Liz at Watertown saying, "Hey." you know, would you be interested in doing an L1, you know, take, doing your L1 and then, you know, teaching some classes. And I wasn't sure because, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why I started this CrossFit was my time was kind of limited. And I was like, well, this sounds like it's going to be more time than I expected. But the more I heard about, well, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Right, like everybody, well, not everybody, but most people when they first start CrossFit. So this was probably eight months into CrossFit, right? Maybe a little less. So I was really still in that like honeymoon phase of oh, CrossFit, CrossFit, yeah. CrossFit, CrossFit. I can tell you about CrossFit. And I wasn't sure about coaching, but you know, Liz was very familiar with you know what goes on at L one, and and I wanted to go to the L one just to learn more about CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize before I went to my L1 how much I was going to learn about CrossFit and just their whole methodology, not just, you know, movements, but just their whole philosophy of fitness and healthy lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, and the methodology behind it. Right. Yeah. So I did coach some classes, you know, I started coaching classes, and it was very rewarding to me to see members, athletes, you know, helping people and see them accomplish things. And it wasn't something that I had really had experience before. I mean, you know, I've done stuff where you mentor people at work or I don't think I had really had that personal, like, wow, this person is really excited Mm -hmm. that they can 
you know, squat this much weight or whatever. This movement clicked. Or yeah, yeah. Or, or in one of the things I, I learned from my college coach was, you know, if you present something, you're trying to teach someone something and it doesn't click at first, how can you try to present it differently or how, what can we do differently to try to achieve the same outcome? Yeah. Cause different cues work differently for different correct. people. Right? Correct. So I've been around that a lot. Um, just, I mean, I think anybody who has sports probably has been around that, but my college coach was really good at that. And so I kind of enjoyed that kind of bit of coaching too, where it's like, Hey, how can I bring it down to this person's level and make it make sense to them? Mm -hmm. Oh, what I thought would make sense to them doesn't make sense to them. <laughs> Let's try it again. Right. right. And then, you know, it be almost just as rewarding to me as it is for them when they actually were able to do something like get double unders. Like, you know, as a coach, anybody who's done double under can remember probably that first time you get a double under is like, oh, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, this is awesome. Right. And so to be able to kind of like share in that experience and get some gratification out of it, that's awesome. So I think that kind of piece of it drew me to coaching and, and I continue to coach. Although if you probably ask the 6 a.m. group, <laughs> it's not a lot of coaching that goes on nowadays because it's the same people. And I'm like, you guys don't need me to review this. Mikey would disagree. <laughs> but when it's funny, whenever we have a new person or a drop in, they make fun of me. They're yeah. like, oh, he's actually coaching today. Look at him. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him over there. Look at him. He's the Look warm, at him working. The warm up is so serious today. That's kind of how I got pulled into the coaching side. And I think I, I just like interacting with people. So, I mean, that that's a big part of it. It really is. How did you get your start in coaching? I think it was actually the L1 was one of the last certifications I did. Initially, I did my certifications for more of my own knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I think the first CrossFit certification I did was the basic barbell strength training with Mark Ripito. Oh, yeah. Who's yeah, now yeah. starting strength and he's no longer sort of part of the CrossFit SME staff. And then after that, I'm like, well, this is really cool. So then I did the Olympic weightlifting one with Mike Bergener. Which is an awesome one. Which, that was awesome. Both these certifications were at CrossFit Milford when they were in one of their older spots and kind of like a strip mall next to a strip club. <laughs> and <laughs> after that, I was like, well, I've done... I did my barbell one. I did my Olympic lifting one. So let me do my L1. And every time I did a certification, it was more for selfish reason of trying to just increase my own knowledge and my own awareness of movement and yeah. trying to become a better athlete. And I did take something out of each cert that I did. So there was value there, but it was never from the perspective of, I want to coach. It was kind yeah. of just like, let me just get this certification or credential and put it in my back pocket and it's on the resume. It looks good type thing. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because I don't think there was any of those other certs. Like even my L1, it wasn't really cause I went in. Well, I did go in with the thought that, okay, I'm going to help coach yeah. at Watertown, but all the ones that you named like Bergner's CrossFit kids and some of the other ones I did, I didn't go to them so I could be a better coach for other people. It was more for, myself i'm like heck yeah i'll go to crossfit kids i want to see like how i could teach my kids to move better you know or heck yeah i want to go to the olympic lifting because i want to improve my olympic lifts right i think there's an odd thing there where i mean the fact that there's that interest behind it allows you to enjoy it and really take in as much as you can where i almost think about you know landscape architecture there's continuing education and all this other stuff if i'm forced to do it it's like okay i kind of go into checkout mode 
where it's not something that I'm making myself do. Well, I'm making myself do it, but it's not. Yeah. It's not my interest that's sparking me to do it. It's more just that I want to check this box off that it's done. And it's a very different learning experience when you're able to kind of go into something and be like, this is something I'm genuinely interested in right now. I think that's what parents probably try to communicate to their kids, especially with college and stuff like that, that yeah. you want to try to find something that sparks that interest. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, I remember my first few certifications, it's you're sitting on a rusted lawn chair, not rusted lawn chair, just a speed up <laughs> little like fold out chair. Wait, you and had I'm chairs? Like, you had chairs? Uh, <laughs> not the Olympic weightlifting one. <laughs> no, I think Ripito had chairs. I don't so. think we had chairs at the Olympic weightlifting. The squatting one, they gave you chairs. Yeah. But it was like edge of the seat the entire time. Like I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. But I can see that you're kind of like one of those guys who geek out on some of that stuff. Yeah, I feel like once you sort of spark that interest, I want to yeah, go down that yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah, I'm kind of a little like that too. Like, I can't make a purchase without like doing 10 days of research on it. Yeah. Like, even if like, it's something simple as a butter knife, I'll be like, I, I, I got to make sure I get the best value and best butter knife. And, you know, well, what am I missing? There could be one that's made in Germany that, you know... I don't know. I feel but, like my YouTube algorithm is all screwed up because it's like whatever uh, my interests are at that time oh, will sort you, of just fill up my recommended feed of all these other oh, yeah. things. I'm like, well, I'm not into that anymore now. Like, I, yeah. I, honestly, I don't know how I make the 6 a.m. sometimes because I go down the YouTube rabbit hole to like 1 in the morning and then get up and go to class. But I've been doing it so long. It's just like whatever. It happens. It, YouTube's great for that. I mean, Google is like if you want to find out information on something that's where you go if you're trying to find how to do something or you really want to learn more about it you end up on youtube and i think google now owns youtube is my understanding yeah i mean listen so i learned from my dad my dad was one of those guys where like they didn't have the internet obviously but he was like if i can find a book on it i can do it yeah right and i'm kind of the same way with for the most part and sometimes i've learned that just because you can find it on youtube doesn't mean you can do it uh, learn the hard way, you know, cost-wise and time-wise. Creative time -wise. editing that yeah. goes on to make yeah, things yeah. look a little bit easier. But, like, stuff about, like, I'm not really a car guy, but, like, I'll do my brakes and stuff like that, and guess where I go? YouTube. Oh, yeah. You know, and... Bring the laptop out to the garage. Oh, I thought about putting it... Don't tell my wife this. I thought about... <laughs> she probably doesn't <laughs> she, listen to the she show, listen, She won't listen yeah. to this. thought about, like, putting a TV out in the garage, and most guys would be like, oh, I want to put a TV out in the garage so I can watch football, you know, or sports. I'm like, no, dude, so I can, I can see what I need to do to, <laughs> to fix whatever I'm fixing in the garage. <laughs> yeah, you know, the laptop's hard to see sometimes. Yeah, I, you know, and they got, my hands are all dirty. I don't want to be getting my laptop all dirty. I know. Actually, I was, before we got on the show today, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, what's Toon's episode going to be about? I'm like, all right. It's going to be called How to Buy a Motorcycle and Hide It from Your Wife oh, in the Garage. <laughs> How to Buy Two Motorcycles. <laughs> two Motorcycles <laughs> and Hide Them in the Garage from Your Wife. That's another episode. <laughs> we'll save that one for a future date. Yeah. That'll be tied into the kids' episode. That, that's the teaser. Yeah, that's the teaser. That's the teaser. For future yeah. Tune episodes. <laughs> so, Tune, I really appreciate having you come out here today i know i gave i kind of sprung this on your last minute the other day normally when i wrap up these episodes i like to run through a few rapid fire questions gives me some consistency to the podcast and so full disclosure for everyone that can't see me i have my phone out because i'm i'm a loyal listener and i know this was i knew this was coming <laughs> so well, I, I do try to give people a heads up with the questions <laughs> before i get them on the show if they haven't had a chance to think about them like I mentioned, you didn't get my initial email because I put you on blast in that email. So fortunately, you do listen to the show, so these should yeah. be somewhat familiar. Yeah. Now, 
The first question that I always like to ask is that if you had the ability to go back in time and send yourself a message on your first day trying out a class, and this would be back in the CrossFit Watertown days, what would that message be? Um, probably be a few. You can have more than one. I'd like I to limit know. it to like maybe two-ish. Yeah. So I'd say the first one is every day can't be a PR day. Sometimes just showing up, man. And if you can do that, you'll be just fine, right? It's a long game. Yeah, and, you know, it kind of goes back to when I started CrossFit. I thought it was super young, but younger. And you have this huge ego, right? So, and at first you're hitting PRs like every day. Not every day, but you know what I'm saying. And that goes on for like a while. Because you're new, everything is so new. Yeah. That you're learning the form and technique and then getting stronger at the same time. So it's just, it's riding the PR train. Yeah. and, And to Gainstown. Yeah, exactly. And I can't even tell you the last time I PR'd something. It's years. That bell out there, if I ring that thing, I'm going to like get out the video because it might never happen again. I'm like kind of at that age oh, now where I think, do I need to reset my all my PRs? Well, <laughs> I know there's got to be an age or something where it's like, okay, hey, you know what? You should probably just reset your PRs. Like, just forget about all those PRs. Let's just, let's do a new baseline. And Brad would say he would do it every year. <laughs> <laughs> every year you're older is a new set of PRs. I kind of like that. I think that's the method I need to start adopting because I got a message from uh, Ian Babington the other day where he recently PR'd his snatch. And mm-hmm. he was like, hey, you know, I thought you'd appreciate this or you're someone who could appreciate this. You know, especially PRing a snatch because that's a huge milestone. And I had to look up because there's an Instagram video of like the last time I PR'd my snatch. And it was, I think, October of 2014. Wow. And it was a huge milestone. I, I snatched 185, and since then, I've never been able to do it again. It happened. It's documented yeah. on video, so I can sort of relive the memory. That's good that you had on video. But yeah, I, I looked up, and I'm like, oh, wow, is that long ago? Actually, I shouldn't say that, because I think I PR'd my back squat a little while ago. I'm Actually, I'm pretty sure I PR'd my back squat just because I'm a little heavier now. So weight moves weight. You would think that, but I'm a little heavier now, and I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm at here because I'm like, I feel like I'm the heaviest and weakest I've ever been. You should be setting PRs every day. I should be, but it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, so I, I take that back. I, I think I did, and also, right, your PRs don't become, they come fractional PRs. They're not like, right. you know, 10-pound increments. But yeah, I think I did PR my back squat and actually was able to walk the next day. So that's even a bigger yeah, the, a bigger win. Cause usually, huge milestone. Yeah, because usually when you PR your back squat, you're like, okay, see you guys in a week. I'm gonna go get, <laughs> go get some, go get some, go see Pete at PT, right? And yeah. get some treatment done, and yeah. <laughs> I won't be back for a while. So the other one, I actually, so I, because you know, I have little notes here, the one I wrote down was uh, CrossFit is a personal journey that is different for everyone. That's a good one. And, and basically, don't get caught up with paying attention to everybody else's fitness. Yeah, you know, whiteboard watching. I have to remind myself that still, and also. I didn't know this at the time either, but CrossFit's a journey and it, hopefully it's a journey that goes on forever, right? There's no end, right? So in like every journey, you're going to have ups and downs and twists and turns. But when I first started, I thought of it as a kind of a, I didn't think it would be with me forever. You know, I didn't think I was like, oh, when I first started, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't see myself doing this when I'm 90, Mm -hmm. right? It was more of like, hey, this is like a jumpstart, like a boot camp. A little right. longer than a, a month, but like a few years and then, you know, I'll get in shape and then I'll just go off my life and I won't be going to the gym every day because before I did CrossFit, I wasn't really a gym person like every day. It'd right. It'd be more 
just active. This one where I was talking to Mikey and we, we had a member at the time who was, they were a little upset that they were looking at a friend who had been doing CrossFit for a shorter period of time who had qualified for regionals or a more competitive level. I remember talking to Mike, I'm like, you know, just like you said there, everyone's journey is different. And yeah. we all start at different points. And the fact that so-and-so has been doing CrossFit for X months and that you've been doing it for longer means nothing when you take into the account the whole sort of background of their life experiences. Yeah. And it almost discredits that in some ways. Well, it's, it's not just time put into this one thing mm-hmm. where, yes, that does make a difference that they've had a little bit more exposure to some of the movements and stuff like that. But you look at a lot of the competitive games athletes like Matt Frazier was a junior national weightlifting champion yeah. before he ever even got into CrossFit. He had some good genes. Um, <laughs> and his parents were both Olympians too, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, stuff like that definitely comes into play. It's not just that I've been going to the gym for two years and this person's been going for 18 months, so I should be stronger than them. It's like, well, that yeah. doesn't well, necessarily I, work that way. Yeah, and it goes back to like, you know, CrossFit's a personal journey, so it's personal to the person. So people come to CrossFit for totally different reasons yeah and what they want out of crossfit is totally different reasons so you were talking about you know coaching a lot of times when someone's new and it's my first interaction you know you do the typical or you know tell me about your kind of fitness history what have you Mm -hmm. been doing lately have you done crossfit before i'd like to ask is you know what are you hoping to get out of crossfit because based upon your answer is that's going to dictate how i might coach you or what I might recommend to you, where I'm like, don't worry about jumping on the 20 inch box right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's talk about your goal. Your goal is, so don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll figure something else out. It's not important or not as important to focus on right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get that. So, Tune, the next question I'd like to ask is, what is your most memorable moment or workout? And typically when I ask this, it's at Strongtown, but if you have a memorable moment from Watertown, I'm happy to include that as well. Yeah, so I'm going to disappoint you twice on this one because, like, the first one, I have two answers. Okay. Because this one I definitely had to think about. The first one would be November 26, 2008. That's my first CrossFit workout. Okay. In my, my, it was supposed to be a, when I first tried, you know, it was supposed to be like, hey, you know, jump in a class and see. But it turned out to be a one-on-one session. And it was 10-minute Cindy. You actually remember this. This is (laughs) impressive. 10-minute Cindy. And so pull-ups are not my thing. So I think I did jumping pull-ups, which in hindsight, we've learned a lot about what right. you should do and should not do for a first workout. But I remember just getting wrecked. Maybe like once or twice at least I had to stop in the workout, mm-hmm. kept going. And driving home, I didn't know if I was going to make it home. <laughs> my fingers had cramped shut, like definite oxygen deprivation (laughs) right like i could barely i couldn't even hold the steering wheel so that was one of them and then the second one was the first time i did fran rx that was at my level one crossfit south brooklyn and this was back in the day so this was i don't even think they do fran at the l1 anymore no for reasons that we talked about so this was like og like teaching this class i had ec boz sherwood a couple other people Heather Bergeron was a trainee. Oh, wow. But I remember Fran RX because I had Nicole Carroll coach me through that workout. And it was a 10-minute cap, and I finished at 
with Nicole Carroll whispering sweet nothings into my ear yeah. to get me through the last <laughs> last bit of that workout. Last nine. Yeah. Those are my my two memorable workouts. I wasn't expecting that tune. I was expecting a different answer after this past week's events. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. <laughs> it's not my story to tell. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to save that for his podcast. Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. I, not my story to tell. South Brooklyn is uh, Dave Osario's gym. Well, this was in their original. Like, they've moved. They, this, they this have, when, they've grown quite a bit. Yeah. So this was in the, when they were in that theater. Okay. They were in this, like, it used to be, I don't know how to describe it, it used to be a theater. Yeah. So this is like this huge space. It's really kind of weird, cool place to have an L1 and work out in. But I think since I know they've moved out of that space and they moved into something else. I think uh, CrossFit King of Prussia in Pennsylvania is actually also in an old movie theater. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's one of those uses where CrossFit Gym wants high ceilings. The mm -hmm. theater has high ceilings yeah. and it, you repurpose it. Yeah, but this this wasn't like this wasn't like a movie theater. This was like a, a legitimate like, like a stage theater. Oh wow! Like and, and you can think of it like in Brooklyn, like one of these kind of like cool yeah. older buildings that like you could probably appreciate like architect background. But yeah, it was it was pretty pretty impressive. Very cool. Two next question is: What is something that when you started out you never thought you'd be able to do that you are now able to do? So this one was tough because I actually thought about it. So every, so every time I listen to the Strontown talks in the car or wherever I'm listening to, I'm like, oh, how would I answer that question? And this one, I, was, I struggled. I struggled. So, but what I came up with was, and I kind of alluded to this before, is I didn't think I would be able to keep doing CrossFit for as long as I had. Yeah. Or have been doing. Like, I thought by now, like, okay, I would have moved on to something else or, you know, life, whatever. And that's it. So, you know, that and also coming to the 6 a.m. class. I mean, it amazes me now even that I still sometimes can get my butt out of bed to get to the 6 a.m. I mean, there are some times when, I don't know what I was doing. I mean, I had three kids, four kids, young kids, probably three at the time, maybe four, three. And I was playing like adult hockey league at night. And it was happened to be Tuesday night. So I get home like at two, three in the morning and then come coach the 6 a.m. Like one season, I actually played on two teams. So I was playing Tuesdays and Thursday nights and I'd still come and work out at 6 a.m. Those were probably not quality workouts. There were no PRs during that time. I give you a lot of credit just because, I mean, the fact that you have four kids and you've been able to maintain this consistency throughout the years is really very impressive. It's quite the testament to your, your work ethic. There's a lot of reasons why the gym doesn't work out or why we can't make it work today or make it work this week or this month or whatever it might be. I think having kids is definitely one of those life-changing events that really kind of throws a wrench into everything and makes it very difficult. Yeah, but to be fair, right? So when I started CrossFit, I already had two kids. So, you know, when you have two more, it's just like, what's two more? You know, it's, <laughs> it's like it's the same, the zoo's the zoo, right? Yeah. You have five animals or you have 500, the zoo's the zoo. I mean, I get it, right? For people who started CrossFit and they're young, like we've had members, right, that they've started CrossFit, they've gotten married, and they've had kids. Right. And to me, those that are still doing it, that's really impressive. That's right in the middle. Like that life event is happening, and it's totally new to them. Yeah. For me, like when I started CrossFit, I'm married. I've had kids. Yeah, I've had more kids, but it's not – it's not as new or as big of an adjustment. 
So I understand like life gets in the way and then it's hard. It's hard to figure out what that rhythm is and yeah. what's going to work for you because you change. But yeah, I think I've been able to keep with it because I, I kind of started later. You know, I was more on my way to, my kids are just getting older, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I got more sporting events. Yeah, I'm coaching this or that, but. I get what you're saying, where you had your routine, the kids were already part of the situation that you were dealing with in terms of the daily balancing act and everything else. I never really considered that before. That's a very good point. And I think that's also why like 6 a.m. is just like one hour of the day. If I can't make time for one hour of the day, I got probably bigger problems. I need to reprioritize some things. If I can't make one hour of the day dedicated for myself, I get it. Like easier said than done, but that's kind of the way I look at it. And, you know, if I look at how much time I spend researching something I want to buy, going down the YouTube rabbit hole, I can find an hour pretty easy. Yeah. I definitely find a couple hours for over a period of a week. It's just priorities. It's funny you say that because one of the things that's gotten me back on the podcast is I've always enjoyed playing video games. I have this one game that I got into for a bit and I was putting a bunch of time into it. And then also I noticed like the game is one of those video games where it keeps track of your hours every time you log on. <laughs> oh, jeez. So also I hit like 40 something hours in this game and I'm like 40 hours in this game. And I'm like, I've been able to squeeze that in with the gym and everything else. And it's playing a little bit here and a little bit there. <laughs> And like, you know, if I put that time into like doing the podcast or editing or yeah, yeah. trying to do something that's productive for the gym, I'm like, that's 40 hours I've just been able to like. a whole work week. Yeah. Literally an entire work week. Granted, it wasn't an entire work week in one sitting, yeah, but yeah. it was just like, okay, I've been able to find time for these other things. Let's try to reallocate some of that time. Yeah. It's easier said than done. It's so hard. And you got to give yourself a little bit of a break. I mean, you need that mindless checkout yeah. time. I'm definitely not getting this hour back in my life. And that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. To next question. And this is one that I may have to get Brendan tune on here to get the real good answer on this one. But what is a common myth you often hear about the gym or CrossFit that you wish you could debunk? So, so we listen to strong town talks a lot when I'm dropping Brendan off at school or drive to or from. And so he hears a lot of them too. And Brendan started working out last summer so I was asking him, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do like, oh, you know, everyone's got the same ones. Oh, you get hurt, well, whatever, yeah, yeah. you know. It's a cult. Yeah, exactly. It's a cult. So I was like, Brendan, you know, what do you think? He goes, oh, I got one. I'm like, well, share it with me. He goes, no, 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 I'm not going to share it with you. <laughs> He's like, I'm like, why? He's like, All right, what am I going to talk about when I'm on the podcast? I'm like, come on. Really, dude? So he assumes that he's going to get the invite for the podcast. Well, he is now. Well, he is now because I want to hear what he has oh, to yeah, say. We're getting him on here this summer. He yeah. just doesn't know it yet. Exactly. So again, yeah, all those myths, you know, you're going to get hurt. It's a cult. So the one thing that I came up with, actually, it's two. One is a myth that I wish wasn't out there. And then the other one is a myth that I want everybody to know is true. Okay. So which one do you want first? Let's start with the one that's out there. Okay. So the one that's out there is, I don't know if it's really a myth, but people think that CrossFit is, like they see games, athletes, and it's all about physical achievements, like PRs. We talked about PRs. I really wish people would know that a big part of that is mental. So I don't think people really understand that to be successful, or I don't know if it's successful, but to really excel... In CrossFit, there's a huge mental component to that, right? Oh, Being able totally. to push, go to those dark places. And so I don't know if it's really a myth, but something that people don't really think about. They, they just like, oh, it's like 
these games athletes, they throw around huge oh, weights. It's, it's easy for them. Or not easy for them, but like, oh, it's all focused on weight and time. Mm-hmm. And it's like very little, like, hey, the mental aspect, like, dude, that's huge. Someone can be fitter and stronger, but if they have weak mental capacity, they're not going to win that wad. So that was the one, I guess, kind of myth that could come up with that wasn't like no, everybody else. That's a good one. That hasn't come up. The whole like mindset component, which yeah. I think often gets overlooked. You used to hear about it a little bit more. This Darsh was always big on the mm-hmm. whole sort of mental toughness component and yeah. stuff like that. And that is a huge factor in, in a lot of these workouts. You know, all things being equal, it is going to be that edge that can kind of separate someone. Oh, yeah. And, and, it's and an not, A competition too, yeah, I believe. Yeah. And, and just also in like gains, like confession time, right? I'm getting a little older. I like to say I'm getting a little wiser. But I mean, definitely in the past year, I've now find myself during workouts. <laughs> I'm just like, there's a point in time in the workout, you know, it's either you start pushing, like you hit that point where you got to start pushing and mm-hmm. digging deep, or you mail it in and like, I'll live to fight another day. Yeah. And I live to fight another day a lot more than I used to. And I could definitely tell in the numbers and in just my overall performance, comparing times and numbers that those are getting worse. But I'm also at a point in my life where I'm okay with that. I'm like, that's okay. It's yeah. fine. I'm not going to qualify this year. Wasn't going to qualify last year or the <laughs> past eight years for, you know, the games or whatever. So, but yeah, it's that whole mental component. Yeah. So do you want to hear my... Yes. Yeah. What's the other one? So the myth that everybody in CrossFit or Strongtown, wherever, should know that's absolutely true. How you load the barbell and what you load the barbell with (laughs) absolutely makes a difference. That's the difference between your PR and not making a PR. Proper plate loading. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you have the numbers of the plate facing in or out, or they better be at least matching? Uh, They better be. Do you have Kraybergs? I know this is a touchy touchy subject for you, Dan, but Kraybergs, I don't know how many PRs you're going to be hitting with Kraybergs on on the bar. They work as long as you got, it needs to be a matching set for one. You can't have one Kraberg, one rogue plate. The bar is basically going to flip over and be completely lopsided. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a no-go. That's a missed lift. I don't even bar at that Forget the PR. You won't even make that lift. Yeah. I'm surprised the bar will even come off the ground sometimes on those lifts. But that is definitely a myth that everybody needs to know that is absolutely true. <laughs> that and, one is fact. And that is fact. I appreciate the clarification on that one for my own OCD self. <laughs> I forget who. There's one. I have a memory of someone having a bar loaded. It might probably Jeff Funk or somebody. But <laughs> it was like a 25 on one side and then like a 10 and 5 or 10 and 15 on the other side. It was the same total weight, but it was a completely different arrangement of the weights that were on the bar. Oh, like the order? the order and even the weights that were being used. That's really hard to like, do at our gym because we have, well, most of them are kind of got the tape on them and they're kind of, so. Yeah. I think it was just not caring wow. about what it was. It was just <sighs> like, oh, it's the same weight. It's like, yeah, but is it? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm still waiting to use that as the reason when someone, you know, I'm coaching a class and someone missed a lift and I just <laughs> go over there and be like, well, I could tell you about technique, but the real reason why you missed this lift is because plates are loaded wrong yeah you set yourself up for failure yeah you, you have no get go yeah yeah you might as well put your shoes on like, i don't care what mikey says it doesn't start with your feet <laughs> right it starts with how you load the bar yes <laughs> set that to be equal and then everything else will fall in place exactly tune final question as we talked about what first brought you to strong town and to crossfit in general but what keeps you coming back and keeps you motivated after all these years so i think what keeps me motivated coming back is i I'm determined to one day 
be able to say, I out-trained a crappy diet and it worked. <laughs> no. So, you know, there's that saying. I'm still trying to. Yeah, it's, it's I've been trying battle. for a long time. No, but kind of related. I mean, what keeps me coming back, as everyone has said before, community is a huge part, right? The people. Listen, it's no fun to wake up at 6 a.m. And if you don't like the people you're going to be around at 6 a.m., you can only keep that hoodie on over your head for so long when you first come in. So the community, but then also for me, I know that if I don't get in here, I like to eat too much. I like to enjoy the fire and things in life. And I would probably be in very poor health and physical fitness would be very bad. So for me, what keeps me coming back is I want to someday see my, hopefully see grandkids and be able to interact with them and move with them and, and live longer. Right. And you know, like they always say is, What's the goal of CrossFit? Well, the goal of CrossFit is so you don't end up in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. Once you lose the ability to squat, it's all over with. So for me, it's being able to live a longer life in something that is a better quality life. That gives me coming back. Yeah. Totally. Those are great answers, Dan. I had to write them down. I, <laughs> I yeah, didn't want to. I wanted fresh new content for you, I, Dan. I will say it paid off. Those are good answers. Yeah. I, I like them. Good luck, Brendan. <laughs> see you in a couple months buddy <laughs> yeah so what keeps you coming back is establishing alpha status in your family yeah. for future generations yeah, be able to flex in front of Brendan. <laughs> yeah stand over no no easy wins ever no there are no easy wins in our household there'll but, be no winning in general <laughs> unless it's earned no not even my kids know <laughs> like even when you win you lose as a kid in our house <laughs> the next episode yeah exactly parenting episode tune i appreciate having you on here today man thank you so much yeah it's been fun and we'll see you all in the future awesome thank you for listening to another episode of strong town talks if you enjoyed the show please feel free to leave us a rating or review we are always grateful for any feedback we get 